Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we could come before you today, uh, that we could hear your word preached. How blessed we are, Lord, week after week after week to come and to hear the word of God preached in our own language. There are so many around the world who don't even have access to your word, and yet you have been so abundant in your graciousness to us. But Lord, we could have your word all around us, on the internet, and in, in our Bibles, on our phones, and everywhere, and yet, O oh God, not have ears to hear. So we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, that we might not only hear the word physically, but Lord, that you may apply it to our hearts, to embrace it, to know you, to love you, to glorify you. We ask this in your name. Amen. God can change your life. Now, I don't, I don't know the circumstances of your life this morning, but I want to put it before you this morning that God can change your life, and He can change your circumstances as well. Now, I don't know how, and I'm actually not even here to tell you how. I just want you to know that He can. And that when you get on your knees... And you pray before the Lord and you pour out your heart to Him. And you pour out your woes and your troubles and your frustrations and your anger and, and maybe even perhaps your resentment. Your struggles with sin, your broken relationships and anything else that, that you are wrestling with. And you say to the Lord, Lord, will I ever, ever know the happiness that I once knew? I want you to know that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or even think of this morning. Now when I say that God is able, what I want you to hear this morning is that God is willing. Because I wonder sometimes as Christians if we sometimes don't think, well yeah, I know that God is able, but does He want to? And I want you to know this morning, yes, He does. Do we believe that? Do you think of the love that God has for you that it is so abundant that it has breadth and length and height and depth, as the Bible describes? Do you believe that the love of Christ for His people surpasses knowledge, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3? You know, I wonder if sometimes when we think of the love of God, if we're not tempted to think of the love of God much like we think of human love, where it's sort of fleeting, it's limited, it's sort of fickle. And if you might be tempted to think of God this way, then I want you to know that the story of Ruth is for you. I want you to see that you are not alone. You see, last week we looked at the lives of, of three women, Orpha, Ruth and Naomi, and we saw how they epitomized three very different and yet very common responses to the Lord. You had Orpha, who was the almost believer, Ruth, who was the new believer, and Naomi, who was the backslidden believer. We refer to them as the bailer, the bold, and the bitter, okay, for lack of a better term. And uh, Naomi and Ruth both had been in very difficult circumstances, actually all of them had, they all had lost their husbands, and Naomi had lost her sons as well. And now Naomi and Ruth are all alone, 
And Ruth has decided to leave her family and the place where she grew up to live in a strange land where uh, the people there uh, were called of God to shun her because of what her people had done to the Israelites when they had come out of Egypt. And so Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth returned to Bethlehem destitute and extremely vulnerable with no place to provide for themselves. And of course Ruth's response is that of faith, but Naomi is bitter against the Lord and she complains against God. And if you look back at chapter 1, verse 21, you see that Naomi says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. And so when Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem, we read in verse 19 that the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. But call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And so Naomi's viewed God as sovereign, but not as good. Or if I might use the illustration I used earlier, she would see that God is able, but he was not willing to act on her behalf. And Naomi's problem is like the struggle that many of us experience. In the dark night of our souls, we imagine and we worry about the worst possible scenarios, don't we? And you know what? Sometimes when we're doing that, we even think up sort of the uh, multiple worst case scenarios. Ones that even would contradict with one another. There's no way that they could even all simultaneously happen. And we sort of persuade ourselves that God has abandoned us. And so that we have no prospects. And so we oftentimes spend much unnecessary energy sort of worrying. In fact, a lot of the worry that we oftentimes have really does not end up being part of God's plan. And so it never even really comes about. And yet that's where we oftentimes find ourselves. And you see, like us, Naomi could not see God that he was at work in her life. And that may be where you might be this morning. You may not be bitter like Naomi was towards God, but maybe you view God's love as as limited. Or maybe you view God as as stingy. Maybe you're, you're hopeful that He could just barely answer the prayers that you have about the needs that you have because you don't see God for, for who He really is or understand the vastness of His love for His people. But God wants you to see this morning that he works in the lives of his people in a magnanimous way. Kids, isn't that a cool word? Magnanimous? What that means is huge. What it means is extremely generous. But that's the way that God works. And as we come to Ruth chapter 2 today, we, we will see that God reveals three things about himself that he wants us to focus on today that will give us comfort in the midst of the uncertainties of life. The three things are this. First of all, the providence of God. We see that in the first three verses. The providence of God. Second of all, is the provision of God. And the third is the pursuit of God. So the providence of God in verses 1 through 3. The provision of God in verses 4 through 17. And then the pursuit of God in verses 18 through 23. 
So I'm going to look first of all at the providence of God. And I said really the first three verses, but actually it starts back earlier than that in, at the end of chapter 1, the very last verse. But before I get into that, let me just sort of define just a minute what the providence of God is. That's sort of a big word that we use in church sometimes that maybe we don't always understand what it means. Sometimes adults struggle with that a little bit. And that's where the Shorter Catechism sort of helps us out a little bit. And it talks about God's providence as God preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. But you know, the Shorter Catechism says more than that, actually. It says that God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Now, those words that come before that preserving and governing are important. Because God is holy and because he, he works in a holy way, there is no sin in what he does in governing our actions. And because he is wise, he knows what is exactly the best for us as he preserves and he governs our actions and he's powerful. There is nothing that can thwart the plan of God. So you know what? I could just almost give the benediction right now. We could just go home. Just meditate upon that. And think about God's greatness in his dealing with his people. But as we look at Naomi and Ruth, it doesn't look like God is doing these things. Their, their situation is pretty bleak. You know, the reality was in those days, if you had no men folk in the house... It was a pretty hopeless situation. You really didn't have any certain way of making an income or providing for yourself or even protecting yourself. And so their future was really very uncertain for these ladies. And I, I wish we could just pause a moment and, and I wish I could put you in these women's circumstances and allow you to feel what they felt and to think what they think. Because I think what happens is, is we look at a book like the book of Ruth and we say, oh, I know how it works out. I, I know how it turns out. It actually turns out really well. So when we get to these situations where there's you know, great tension and turmoil and uncertainty, we just sort of glaze over like, yeah, it's okay, it'll work out. And so I think what happens is, is that we don't identify then with the biblical characters and we see the circumstances of our lives as way different because we feel the tension of the circumstances of our lives and we don't understand that they felt the same way. You know, in Psalm 139, verse 16, we read that, that every day was ordained for God, you know, every day that was ordained from God uh, was written in his book before we were even born. So God knew every day that was ordained for you and for me, and he wrote it down in a book before you were even born. So does God know tomorrow? Oh, yes. God, un God knows your tomorrow. But we are not privy to that information, and so we have to face the circumstances of each day not knowing what the future holds. But I want us to know that while we don't know tomorrow, we do know him who holds the days our days in his hands, and he is good. And while Naomi and Ruth couldn't see the future, the author of the book of Ruth shows us that God is at work in their life. And I want to point out just a few of those, because you almost miss it, the way that God is at work in their lives. Because the author of Ruth just almost makes these comments like they're side comments that you just like sort of skim over because you want to get to the rest of the story. And the first of these is found in verse 1, or the, the end of uh, the last verse of chapter 1. 
It says, say, Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So what? Well, what that meant was is that there was once again food in the house of bread. Remember, Bethlehem means house of bread. And, and the, this book opens by saying there was a famine in the house of bread in Bethlehem. And now God wants us to see that that's changed. That now as these women come back, they have no way to provide for themselves. At least it's during the harvest season. You, you see that there's a sense of which, you know what, they could have food. But there's more that's going on than just that. You know, if you remember that uh, the famine was a mark of divine judgment of God because God's people had rebelled against him. Because these circumstances of Ruth took place during the time of the judges. And, but now what you see is, is that the famine is over and there seems to be spiritual awakening that's been going on amongst the people. And we see evidence of that even in verse 4 of chapter 2 where Boaz comes and he greets his workers. What does he say? Shalom, right? Which is hello. No, that's not what he says. He said, the Lord be with you. And what do these workers, these field workers say? They say, the Lord bless you. you here are these guys that are like, you know, rugged, you know, callous on their hands, field hands that are out there working and they're quoting the ironic blessing that God gave to Aaron to bless his people. There was a sense in which, you know, the, uh, the whole idea uh, that the barley harvest was there not only meant that there was food, but it would also signaled the beginning of spiritual vitality in the life of God's people. And so they were returning to a good situation in Israel. So there's an, a hopeful note as you, as you read those words. But then in chapter 2, verse 1, we also read now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, notice this description. He does, the author doesn't say, now there was a man named Boaz. That's how we would think about introducing someone. You know, I wouldn't say, you know, I want to introduce to you a, a teacher from CSW who knows other languages, thinks very logically, and his name is Jacob. You know, I wouldn't say that. I'd say, here, let me introduce you to Jacob. Oh, by the way, he works at a classical school, and, and I would tell you about him. Well, the reason why the author writes these details in this order, saying he's a relative of Elimelech, and he's a worthy man, and his name is Boaz, is because he wants to emphasize the fact that he was a kinsman redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. Now, what that means is uh, God had made a provision in the Old Testament called the Leverite Law, okay? Which was uh, where a close relative could be a substitute for a dead husband and prolong the family line. We see that in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 6. So, the brother, let's say, of a deceased husband could then take the dead husband's wife as his wife have children with her, and, and he would take on the name of his dead brother, which would keep his line going. And not only that, but if there was land in the family that that family needed to sell to make ends meet, that man could also redeem that land as well, which we see in Leviticus 25, verses 23 through 25. And what the author is wanting us to see here is, guess what? There's a kinsman redeemer 
in the background, just in case you didn't notice. Now, think about that in light of what Naomi said back in chapter 1, verse 11. Remember when she was talking to her, her daughter-in-laws? She said, you're going to go with me? There's no hope for you. You know, I, I can't provide husbands for you. You know, okay, let's just say I found a man tonight, and we got married, and we were intimate, and I got pregnant, and I had a son. Are you going to stick around until he grows up and is old enough that you can marry him? No, of course not. She was admitting that there was no way that she could provide a husband for her daughter-in-laws. But the author of this book wants us to see that what's impossible for us is possible with God. You know, it sort of reminds me of when the angel met with Mary. And the angel of the Lord said to Mary, You know, I know you're a virgin, but you're going to give birth to a baby. And he's going to be the Messiah. And she's like, What? How could this be? And the angel of the Lord said in Luke 137, for nothing will be impossible with God. And that's what, he want, that's what they want us to see as we're reading the book of Ruth. That there is hope now because God is at work and there's nothing that's impossible with him. So now we get on with the story. If you look at, 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 at verse 2, Na, uh, Ruth asked Naomi for permission to go glean in the field because that's how God has caused to provide for the poor and the widows and the needy. You know, there wasn't a welfare system. So what God told his people is, look, when you're out there, you know, cutting down the, the stalks of grain, if you drop some, just leave them there. Don't pick them up, you know, and that'll just be uh, the provision for people who don't have a way to provide for themselves to come out and pick up that grain and then they'll have something to eat. And so uh, Naomi knows that that's written in God's law in Deuteronomy 24:19, And so she goes out and, and she gleans. And then we read in verse 3. So she went out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So she just happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. Now, actually, in the Hebrew uh, of this passage, it's particularly emphatic as it sort of highlights that, that, uh, that wording. It, literally, that phrase in the Hebrew means something like this. The chance that chanced upon her was that she came to glean uh, in Boaz's field. We might say, well, you know, as luck would have it, she just happened to pick Boaz's field above all the rest. But the author wants us to see that there's no such thing as luck driving this chain of events. That this was all part of God's higher plan and nothing less than divine appointment of God that brought Ruth to Boaz's field. Now think about the chain of events that had to happen. That Ruth and Naomi had to arrive in Bethlehem at just the right time that Ruth just happened to have to find a field to belong to Boaz. And while Ruth is busy working in the field, that Boaz just happens to have, happened to come from Bethlehem and notice her in the field. Now, that timing might seem pretty incredible, but what, what's happening here is, is that we're sort of seeing a contrast between Naomi's view of God and what the author of the book of Ruth wants us to see. That Naomi sees God as a sovereign God who is in control of everything, but he's not good. You know, he's, he's uh, willing, or he's able, but he's not willing to provide. He's not 
uh, merciful. Whereas the, the author wants us to see that God is actually at work and he is a God who is a benevolent God. He is a gracious God who controls the circumstances and the lives of his people. So God is sovereign and he works all things according to the counsel of his own will to the praise of his glorious grace. He is, uh, which means then that no circumstance in our life is insignificant. You know, there's no moments that are just wasted. You know, God is working out his purpose in everything that he's doing. Sometimes we might wonder, God, why is this happening to me? But there is a reason, even if we don't understand that. And so we, we know that things that seem, you know, sort of happenstance are really part of God's precious plan. And that could be a precious truth that would fill us with comfort if we think about that in the midst of our struggles and our difficulties. Now I know as, as, even as Christians, we feel most comfortable when? When we are in control, right? When we know what's going on, when we have a plan, when we are working with that plan, that's when we feel most comfortable. But that's not how God always works. As a matter of fact, God oftentimes works in ways contrary to that for a reason and a purpose. So what are we supposed to do when we find ourselves in those circumstances? Well, I would suggest to you that Ruth's example uh, sort of leads us, just tells us what we ought to do. You see, here she was in her life. She didn't know what the future held. All she knew is, is that God's word had made a provision for her to go out and provide for her and her mother-in-law. And so she took a step of faith and just did exactly what God's word says. So Ruth doesn't worry about figuring out what the future holds. She simply takes one step of faith to do what God tells her to do in the circumstances that she's in. Then she trusts the sovereign God into whose hands she has entrusted her life to overrule and to guide her steps. And brothers and sisters, that's a secret of contentment for us. You know, you don't need to know about tomorrow. You don't need to know what the future holds. You don't have to have a plan. You need to know how God would have you live today. Today. Maybe only in this very moment. And to rest in Him and to trust in Him and to know that he will guide you. I, I still think about Psalm 119 where it talks about how God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And if you've ever seen an oil lamp, I actually have one at home. I couldn't find it, but I have one at home, a little clay lamp from Israel. It's really tiny. And we lit it one night and we held it out and it gave me about as much light as from me to the front row. That was about it. Well, probably not even that much, probably halfway between me and the front row. It was just a very little, it's about enough for one step is all the light that it gave. You know, and I think that oftentimes we think that God's word is like a spotlight. It's going to shine like two miles down the road and let us see what's all coming up. But that's not the way he works. He gives us enough light for one step of faith at a time. And that's what he calls us to do and to trust in him. And that's why Paul could say, I have learned in whatever circumstances or situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me because his eyes are upon the Lord. And that's what Ruth did as well. She trusts the providence of God for tomorrow and do, do the next thing 
that uh, he that he calls her to do. So that's God's providence. Now his provision. Now I want you to understand my points get briefer as we go on, so don't worry. So his provision. Look at verses fourteen or four through seventeen, and we see how. Uh, Boaz, or how God provided for Ruth through Boaz. You know, it describes Boaz as a worthy man. That's not a great translation. Uh, it really is talking about a man of character, a, a godly man of character. And, and he shows up and, and he talks to his foreman and he said, Hey, who's that woman out there? And the foreman said, Well, she's the Moabitess everyone's been talking about. She's the one that came back with Naomi. And she showed up this morning and she asked to glean in the field and I gave her permission and she hasn't stopped working since the morning. You know, she's been at it all day long. Just she took a short little break and, and that was it. So then in verses 8 and 9, then uh, Boaz calls Ruth over to himself and he tells her that she needn't glean in any other field but his. He says, just stay here and glean, glean in my field. And uh, she shouldn't be uh, worried about falling too close behind the the workers, you know, he he will ensure her safety. You know, it wasn't always safe for women to go out in these fields. Some of these men could be sort of rough and they they could be attacked. But he wanted her to know, I've given the word that they are not to touch you. And in fact, he said, if you're thirsty, I want you to take the water that's been drawn from the men, and I want you to to drink that as well. And what he's doing is, is he's treating her as though she's a member of his household. You know, as if she's one of his servants when in actuality she's not. And then on top of that, then later that evening, then Boaz includes Ruth amongst the laborers in the evening meal. And and then when she sort of leaves for a moment, uh, as she's out of earshot, uh, then Boaz says to his workers in verse 15, he goes, Let her glean even among the sheaves and don't reproach her. And pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and don't rebuke her. You see, kids, what they would do is they would cut down these stalks of wheat and they would put them together in a bundle and they would tie them. And, and so what, what he was saying to, to his workers were, look, even if she takes some out of the bundles, don't, don't rebuke her. As a matter of fact, go ahead and you know, pull out some while you're walking along. Pull out some of the sheaves and just, just drop them there on the ground so she can pick them up and, and, and she'll have... She'll have more. You see, what Boaz is seeking to do is to provide for her more than she could possibly gather otherwise. And then in verse 10, Ruth is just overwhelmed by his kindness. And she says, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Now, you guys got to understand she is a Moabitess. And as a matter of fact, if you look at every description of Ruth in, in this book, it refers to her as Ruth the Moabitess. Because they were such a despised people. They were one of two nations that were not even allowed to dwell amongst God's people, to be in the congregation of God's people. But she was a woman of faith who had put herself under the trust of the Lord. And so she expected to be treated like dirt. As a matter of fact, when she showed up in town, the women didn't even acknowledge her presence. But here Boaz is, he's not only acknowledging she exists, he is being kind to her, even though she's an outcast. And, and, uh, and so... He, he looks to her and he, he sees that she is a woman who not only has cared for her mother-in-law, but as it says, 
Uh, it says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He sees that she is a woman of faith, and so he seeks to, to not only speak blessing to her, but to be a blessing to her. And in verse 17, we see that Ruth gathers an ephah of barley. Okay, now that means absolutely nothing to any of us, I'm assuming. I'm assuming you don't know what that means. I didn't know what that meant. I had to look it up. Well, what that was is it was about five gallons worth of wheat. It, it was a lot. As a matter of fact, for an adult human, it would be about two weeks worth of food is how much she gathered in one day. I mean, here she is showing up in the field, hoping that she might get enough to possibly, you know, eke out existence for one day, you know, for her and Naomi, maybe share it and split it and maybe get rid of some of the hunger. And she has now already worked and eaten where she's so full she can't eat it all. And she still walks home with five gallons of grain. She has like an abundance of that. So the Lord has provided more extravagantly than she needed. But what we need to see, brothers and sisters, is, is that Boaz, this man of godly character, as we see here, is really a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the greater Boaz. And when we come like Ruth to take refuge under the wings of the Almighty, the greater Boaz, he does more than simply speak a blessing or a benediction to us. He acts in such a way that he gives grace to us. It flows to us over and over and over and now, I think oftentimes we don't see that grace because we're thinking of our need on this plane right here, that this is what we need. And God understands that our need is actually up here. It's a much greater need than we have. And so sometimes, because God is meeting this greater need, then the need we see seems to be not only unfulfilled, but it seems like God's not hearing us. And what, we, what I want us to remember this morning is, is that God is working in a greater way. Does, does Ruth and Naomi need food? Yes. Do they need protection? Yes. Do they, but God says, but I'm going to give you even more than that. And now if we can look at the end of the story, we see that not only has God given us these things, but at the end, then Ruth, a Moabitess, becomes part of the line of the Messiah, of, of the, the line of David, which is the line of the Messiah, which is the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God is not only meeting those physical needs, but he meets even greater needs. And for us, we need to remember that and to understand that we may have needs and they may be genuine needs, but God may not meet those needs right away because he first wants to meet the greater needs and then he will meet that which we need. So the same God who made provision for, uh, for Ruth also makes provision for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he not only meets our needs, but he provides more than we need. So some of us may be here this morning and we may live in fear as we face tomorrow. But deep down, it's because we oftentimes don't trust the Lord Jesus Christ that he really can give us all that we truly need. But as Ruth, I think, would probably testify as she drug this heavy load of barley back to her house... God is able to meet our need in abundance and even that left over. And then finally, I want us to see the pursuit of God. 
So we have the providence of God, the provision of God, but the pursuit of God in verses 18 through 23. Naomi, or Ruth comes back to Naomi and Naomi says, Wow, where did you glean today? In whose field? Who showed you this favor? And Ruth said, Well, it was uh, this man named Boaz. And, and uh, Naomi says, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. You see, Naomi recognizes that Boaz is someone who can fulfill the stipulations of the Leverite laws. And so she tells Ruth to continue to glean in that field. And she, you can just almost probably see it in her mind that this mother-in-law is now plotting this romantic you know, uh, relationship. I don't know if that's what was happening. I could see that possibly happening. But while she is doing that, God is the one who is pursuing Naomi's heart. You know, when we last look at Naomi in chapter 1, she was bitter. She was angry against God. She blamed God for the calamity of her life. But now what does she say in verse 20? The kindness of the Lord has not deserted the living or the dead. She recognizes that not God has not only provided for her and Ruth, but God may be getting ready to provide for them to bring a kinsman redeemer into their life. So now she sees God's hand not only as sovereign, but she sees his hand as one that works his grace in life as well. So she sees his kindness instead of his calamity. Sort of reminds me of Thomas Watson's uh, quote where he said, Grace dissolves and liquefies the soul, causing a spiritual thaw. Grace dissolves and liquefies the soul, causing a spiritual thaw. And that's precisely what happened to Naomi's heart. That there was sort of a spiritual... um, Falling as she saw God's hesed, his loving kindness, his grace sort of seeping through the sorrow of her heart. Brothers and sisters, some of you may be here today and and you may be drifting away from the Lord. You may be struggling and you may have your eyes fixed upon the things of the world. And some of you may even have allowed even some bitterness to creep into your heart and to poison your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Kids, for you, what it may look like is it may be one of those things where you're having a hard day obeying your parents. You ever had days like that? It just seems like you and your parents are always going like that, right? Because, you know, no matter how much you might want to do the right thing, you also like to do the thing that you ought not to do, right? And, and you're doing those things that you know are wrong and that you ought not to do, and so there's this conflict. But I want you to know that the Lord has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. He wants your heart for himself, kids. He wants your heart, adults, for himself. He is working in you. He is speaking to you. He is calling you in his word even now to come back to him and to trust him. And you may not be apostate. You may not be outright rebellious against the Lord. But you may not have given yourself to see God as he is, as magnanimous, as huge, as generous as he is in dealing with his people. But he is. So how will you respond this morning to the providence of God? You know you can trust his sovereignty. You can trust him. How about his provision? There is abundant grace for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And no matter what it is that we are wrestling with,
and that God pursues us. He wants our hearts for himself and he won't let go until you come back to him. He is a gracious and a wonderful God. Amen. Let's take just a moment to bow our heads and to meditate upon the word of God and how it applies to our lives. Our Father, we thank you so much for the word that you've given to us today to remind us, O oh God, that even when we can be very tempted to, to look at our lives through the circumstances around us apart from you, that you still are at work in our midst through your providence and your provision and your pursuit of us. I pray, O oh God, for any that might be here today, that if they are wrestling with you, if they are maybe even some angry with you over the things that you have done, God, that they would give their hearts to you. But Lord, I pray that all of us would delight in you, that we would acknowledge your work in our lives, and that God, it would bring us great comfort even in those times when we are not in control. Lord, those times when, when things seem so uncertain and so up in the air, help us to trust you. Help us to look to you, to be like Ruth and to step out in faith, to obey your word just in that very moment, trusting you for the rest. We thank you, O oh God, so much for your wonderful grace. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.